to be honest, there was a bias in me as well, a positive bias. In the United States, this would never happen, right? Why? We're too rich. I don't, I, I've been living my life, we would always be looking towards the West, right, as a good role model. You were, you still are in some cases, right? Yeah. I still want to live in the United States. They're very good people. There are some good policies and so on. But I, I have this positive bias that in the United States, this never happened, not happened. And eventually it dawned on me, well, why wouldn't it? But I'm saying it took even time for me, even after I went all of that, through all of that, even it took time for me to realize, well, it's all the same thing all over again with some different tastes in it. I'm Lynette Zhang, Chief Market Analyst here at ITM Trading, and I have an extremely special guest on Coffee with Lynette today. It's Arpad, who is the creator and host of Star Path Academy, which focuses on his experience living through hyperinflation. The link to all of his channels, or I hope we got all of them, are below. But he was born under communist, communism in Romania and he's lived through the 90 Romanian high inflation period as a young person. This drove him to vigorously study the economic and political causes and effects of inflation, as well as other monetary topics, which is really important for us to be aware of today. Fusing childhood memories, hard lessons learned from his parents and his grandparents with his own experience and studies, he shares his thoughts and insights with his viewers on YouTube. I am so excited to meet you finally and have you here today. Thank you so much for coming, Arpad. Thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, talk to you. I've been watching your shows. You share really great information and um, I just love your work and the whole um, work you do at ITM. So thank you very much for uh, inviting me. Oh, it, 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 I can't even I can't even tell you how happy I am that you're here. And I think your work is fabulous, too. And so I always want to ask, why do you do? I mean, I think with you, it's probably a little more obvious, but I'm still going to ask from your perspective why you do the work that you're doing with the hyperinflation. Well, when I came to the United States, I thought that the general people of the United States are at least somewhat familiar what went down in Eastern Europe, um, all of these uh, satellite states of the post-Soviet uh, Union, and what we suffered through. And I thought, well, this would be common knowledge, your historians, your, your universities would be teaching it. So I thought, well, perfect, you know, you know now that experience that we had, so hopefully you don't repeat it. But as I spent more time talking about economics and uh, just finances or general news with friends and people that I um, met here, I found out that's really not the case at all. And whenever I started talking, they started to really listen. So I was happy to share my you know, my history, our misfortune, if you want to put it that way. 
And um, it just went to the point where more and more people that asked that I should write a book or do a YouTube channel. So I, I started a YouTube channel that was easy. And as soon as people caught on, I was really happy to share uh, my uh, knowledge and uh, really our history and um, you know the sufferings that we went through because there's a lot to learn in that. And hopefully this way I can help people. That's really wonderful because, you know, it is amazing how little people know of history. But, you know, and they always think, well, this time is different. Do you think this time is different? And, and do you think that it's going to be localized when it, like it was in Romania and when the Soviet, when Russia fell, the USSR fell? Or do you think this is more global? What do you think is going on? Well, I think... The song may be different, but the tunes are similar. So uh, it's always with a different twist, just because of how the global politics shifts in the meantime, of course. However, the effect on the general people is always the same. It could be a different global situation. It could be a different economical situation. However, the effect on the general public, the good old you know, nine to five uh, people who just, their only fault is that they, they haven't paid attention. The effect mm -hmm. on those people is always the same and it's always suffering and losing their savings and losing their, you know, multi-generational properties, farms or something like that. It's always the same. So I try to approach it from them, from their perspective, because where we have control is truly in our lives and what we do, how to invest mm -hmm. and so on. We don't have too much control about global politics. And yes, it's good to know about those things and it's good to know how things shift so you can anticipate things. However, a lot of people focus on those things where we don't have no power and then we feel powerless and we feel that we have nothing to do. Well, of course, there are a lot of things that we can do, how we can prepare so we are not affected. Yes, it's different in the sense this time I think it will be much more global. It was sort of global even back then because yeah, the hyperinflation situation in Romania uh, was really tied together with the uh, post-Soviet hyperinflation of Eastern Europe and all these other Soviet uh, satellite states and including Russia, they suffered a lot as well. So I tried to talk about their history a little bit, the one at least from what I studied. However, this time it is, I would say, a bigger empire that mm -hmm. is really all across the world. You know, there's very little, very few countries in the world where they don't know what a dollar is. You know, it might have been different in back then. People knew about the Soviet Union, but they were not trading um, rubles or uh, other currencies um, in far corners of the world. Well, now they are. They are trading in dollars, right? They have, even in Romania today, we have exchange houses and people save in dollars or save in euros. And then we use those currencies. Sometimes when we list property in Romania, we directly say it in euros or we directly say it in US dollars because we know we kind of don't have, we don't trust our own local currency anymore. So this is a much more global uh, thing and it will be much, much bigger. However, the effect on the general people is always the same. They just lose everything. You know, you said something that was really interesting and I think we're going to feel it, but when the population no longer trusts the local currency, they will use another currency. So what happens if they are all in a synchronized hyperinflationary event? 
Right. We actually had the benefit of Western Europe not going through this uh, major inflation. We started eventually uh, using um, the German Deutschmark, uh, which later became the euro. So we had that privilege. I don't think we're going to have a privilege like that if it happens now, because I do believe because of a bigger empire, because of a bigger global system, um, the tide is rising or all of the all of the ships are sinking at the same time. There's no safe haven, at least in currencies that I see uh, where we can go to every currency or digital currency that I see is still in a speculation phase where it could work out. And it has historically, at least this brief history, brief history of cryptocurrencies, it went through, um, it worked out. However, when there's a loss in currency, it tends to trickle down into other areas. Anything that is monetary or, um, or people have used to trade, uh, it will trickle down and it will have the same effect. That's true. But, you know, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin came out in January of 2009, and then the Federal Reserve started quantitative easing in March of 2009. You know, coincidence? Eh, maybe. I don't think there are really a lot of coincidences, but it has not been tested through a crisis yet. So who knows what's going to happen? And I agree with you. It is really just a speculation. But we see in South America that the, particularly in Venezuela, and there are other countries too, that when they lost all confidence in the Bolivar, well, there are many towns that actually use gold, little slivers, gold dust, to make their purchases and things are actually priced in gold, which I think is really interesting. So do you think that that's the kind of thing, I mean, if you can get your hands on it. I mean, they're going out and they're mining. So they're getting it. They're, they're doing the same thing in Zimbabwe where they're going out and they're mining it. And so they have it. But what do you think is gonna happen here if all currencies go down at the same time? I mean. Right, so um, my opinion is, and from what I learned is that it has to be something physical, not just outside of the system, but it has to be something that is not affected at all by politics or, um, or perceptions of evaluation, because we now have the benefit of trading stocks or anything just with our phones, right? When, when electricity goes down for a couple of weeks, then what happens with your assets or perceived assets that are really just numbers on screens? You know, how much more, how much faith will you lose under those two weeks and how much the rest of the world will lose faith under those two weeks if that would happen, right? And that's hard to tell, but I'm, I'm assuming that what you have on your person or uh, somewhere, yeah, somewhere definitely a tangible country, gal. Yes, uh, that you still have there. And, you know, with... Uh, electricity outages, energy, energy shortages. This is not new to me. We lived through this again and again. You know, my father went through two hyperinflation in his life. My grandfather went through two hyperinflation in his life. I went through one. I at least expect another hyperinflation in my lifetime. And during those times, there's really, there's not a global market where you could say, I'm going to check the price of X on my phone. No, it's not like that. 
It's your connections. It's your the people that you know that you can trade with in a situation like that. And things are valued on the spot on the market. And you might not even know what the value of X is. And gold or something physical like that has always had that benefit that it's actually something that is not relying on another system. May that be banking or even electricity or someone else. You can just trade it directly. Now, in our case, gold was not really an option because we were actually coming out of communism where gold, especially investment gold, was definitely outlawed. So we did not even have that privilege. However, people, of course, smuggled in. And I have some interesting stories about gold and how my family um, tried to, um, you know, hedge against coming inflation with gold and how that worked out. But I know for sure that even when in the darkest of days, you, there were always people, maybe, of course, in dark alleys or somewhere else or just end of the street or your friends or your family that always took silver or gold for something. Now, of course, they actually had to have something to trade or you had to have something to trade. So it was a bit harder, but not relying on Electricity, not relying on bigger systems is key to uh, survive and even try to hyperinflation. And from my studies and from what I study, from what I study, there are for the at least for the general people, there is no better way to weather the storm. And these storms are long. Mind you, it could be seven years, 20 years, you know, in case of Zimbabwe, it's still going on. In order to weather these long storms, you need something physical outside of the system. And, you know, the best elements for that is silver and gold. But I've also heard you talk, and I, I, I would love it if you would share your family stories. Um, you know, you know my mantra because you watch my work. So it's food, water, energy security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, which I think is the most important one, and shelter. Um, so can you relate your family stories and, you know, were you set up with the mantra? I mean, yes, yes. Well, we didn't have everything, of course, but we at least had the basics or acquired the basics during hyperinflation at the early start of hyperinflation. Now I come from a, you know, poor family. We didn't have much to lose at all, right? Uh, you know, my my parents worked in factories. They were factory workers. We didn't have wealth stored up. A lot of wealth that we could lose. Really, when a fleecing comes, it's really the people who actually have stored wealth in paper assets or other means that are in the system that get fleeced the most. Mm -hmm. We our fall was not that much, but. When, that also meant that we were immediately at the level where we needed to uh, think about food or start. So yeah. um, that was our first thing that we moved back to um, homesteads that, you know, my grandparents had. And these were, mind you, these were not big farms. It could be just a two and a half acres my grandmother had or my grandmother's sister had. And we immediately had to move back there and work on the land and start uh, working the field to produce food immediately. Now, we had the knowledge, right? My grandparents, my parents um, used yeah. to do that. And now, as a, me as a teen, started learning immediately how to do that. So we had that 
We also had the privilege of community because these small towns in Romania or Eastern Europe are usually sort of historical towns where, mm -hmm. you know, your, your neighbor, your next door neighbor could be your second cousin or your grandparents cousin or someone like that. So you already had that feeling if, if you move there, somebody will help you take care of yourself or you can help them. So we have that community. That's no longer here there, but we have that privilege. We also have the knowledge and we also were not afraid of hard labor, to be honest. So that we had, of course, um, community, shelter. Now, of course, these were, when I talk about, you know, these um, homesteads, they were mud brick houses, from you know a couple of hundred years old without flowing water but we dug a well and so on but it was something we could mm -hmm. we could start with that you know and also the community families used to be bigger i had 10 cousins i was the youngest one you know they had their own place some uh, grew different vegetables some uh, raised animals we grew potatoes that was our thing because it was easy to store and we knew about potatoes and onions and that sort of stuff so and we were able to trade between us uh, bartering works out really well if you already have that layer of trust however that first layer of trust uh, is hard to acquire in a big city so we had a couple of things that we had going on for us and um, just the knowledge, just the sheer knowledge of these uh, old folk who went through much worse times, to be honest. You know, my, my grandparents lived to the First or the Second World War. So this was a walk in a park for them, really. Um, of course, I'm joking, but I always remember my grandmother being such lighthearted, happy, you know, whereas, you know, my parents had a really hard time. And, I, and me as a young person, uh, I didn't even understood really what was happening. I just got the experiences, the feelings of what's going on, the insecurities, that a lot of emotional package that, you know, happened. And um, <clears throat> later on, I really wanted to know what was happening to us because for me, it was just like, we. I didn't necessarily even know how poor we were because yeah. everyone around me was so poor and we were, you know, walking around in rags, sometimes no shoes. That is just, that was life for me, you know. So I, I tend to have a different perspective because of this, I believe. And then later on, our family's um, financials did change during hyperinflation, thanks to my, uh, my parents' really, really hard work. And there are a couple things in there, but in the U.S., you know, people like I grow food, I, I just have a half an acre and food is the single biggest issue for most people during hyperinflation. And then I would also say medicine is right up there. But I mean, the U.S. and the people in the U.S., I remember when I started putting in the gardens and my neighbors were like, oh, my God, people are going to come. People don't know what food growing in the ground actually looks like anymore. So yeah. where you had that advantage, and they did in Greece too, as Greece went through that, a lot of people, they went back to their roots and they yeah. had that community and they had that farmland. What do you think it's going to look like since we're not used to that here? Well, we better get started <laughs> now oh, as agree. soon as possible. <laughs> um, it will look much more chaotic because the land was there for us um, mm -hmm. It's hard to acquire land during hyperinflation. You, I mean, you can, but it will be 
very different than how you imagine it. Actually, there everything fluctuates, and we can talk about prices going up and down during the hyperinflationary period. However, we had the land, right? We had the knowledge. We actually didn't have the tools, so I had to work with my hands digging up potatoes from the ground. It was a bit different. But eventually, we had the knowledge how to make tools or trade for tools. So we had that, and we also had that community and that layer of trust. Now, if you would have at least that, you know, uh, then you'll find the land somewhere or somebody will give you pieces of land to work it for yourself or something needs mm -hmm. to work out. And people work out, people come together. A lot of people imagine a chaotic situation where it's a total Mad Max situation. Actually, people become, at least the nice people become even nicer. They, they, they are humbled and people are happy to help as long as you're um, you're trustworthy, really being trustworthy and uh, keeping your word was the best currency, to be honest, because that way you there's always need for good people. There's always need for good people who you can trust and who you can work with, even in the yeah. darkest of times. So having that community, we could work it out. Right. And there's land. But however, um, Right now, what I'm seeing in the United States is everything has been systemized or put into bigger system where you're really even a farmer or a lot of farmers right. are really disconnected how what actually their local people need around their community. And uh, it's becoming more of a corporation where only thing is you grow is soybeans and you sell it at this price and there's ding, ding, ding. There's, <laughs> it's like a stock market now. So right. we have to move back a little bit where you're serving more your local community better because you will need them and they will need you. So we need to think about local farms, uh, how to help people now, because the people that you connect with now, those will be the people who can help you when there's a bigger calamity. So we have to work on that really hard. And, you know, if you don't have the means for it, you still have your currency, your, your, your word and your trustworthiness is, um, is the biggest um, advantage you can have. Yeah. For those that live in a bigger city, though, there are also community gardens so there are ways to build that community. And um, I think it's critically important because you do. I mean, I agree with you. And when you're talking about everything getting really local for a while, we get blackouts, brownouts, et cetera. Then um, one of the things that I've heard you talk about that I, that I love because I couldn't agree with it more is that everything is barterable, anything physical, but also your skills and your talents. So as I was becoming a gardener, because that's not really who I am, but you know, I, I believe my work. So, you know, I can lay irrigation. Do I want to lay irrigation? No, I don't, but it is a barterable skill. So, you know, I, I encourage everybody to really develop and hone those kinds of skills because they come in really, really handy. Yes, I totally agree. And uh, actually skills were more bartered than anything uh, because, you know, we, when all your, 
finances or perceived wealth is um, evaporated. What remains is what you have in your house, maybe on your farm, if you have one in your car, and that's it. And how do you start from that? Well, there are things that you can barter and give away and get rid of. Well, of course, if you stored something, that's even better. But the biggest thing that we could barter without fear, because there's a fear if you're bartering with someone who you don't know, you can't just go ahead and say, yeah, I have these couple of thousands of uh, or hundreds of cans of beans. You know, you're exposing yourself. Now they know you have the beans. But you can always get, go there and say, hey, I can fix toilets. You know, that's a really good barterable skill. Mm-hmm. Ours was one of the best ones. Or, um, hey, I can work for an hour on your field. That that We would trade that. Now, of course, in our case, because we had the community, um, it would never you know, be counted, but it would be somewhere this weekend, everybody comes together and work on your field. And next weekend, everybody comes together because around I had 10 cousins and we would go to their place and raise the barn or go there or feed the pig. And we would work back. Now, of course, the people or my relatives who already had bigger farms to start with, they would get a better deal because they had more things to do. Us with our little uh, land did not so much. However, in that in those cases, we would get paid in live chicken or um, you know some meat. Um, actually, we had to um, store up wealth and buy um, a pork. Uh, <laughs> Uh, later on in the year because it, they were the pricing was just that high for food. So things are barterable, but your skills will be um, really the, the biggest barterable thing that you can have and knowledge, of course, the knowledge, skills, and trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I can tell you from my, my personal experience when I was putting in this farm, there are meetup groups that do exactly what you were talking about. And so if you, if in your, wherever you guys are, if you're in your local area and you can find a meetup group, um, you know, for, for me, when I was first starting, it was garden pool. And I had like, I don't remember, like 42 or 52 people that showed up at my house on a Saturday morning and I fed them lunch, but I mean, they worked and they planted the trees and they, they did everything. So, you know, I, you and I definitely agree that community is like critical to get you through these periods of time. But um, can you tell us more about your family's experience and how, you know, having lived through one hyperinflationary event, did your, were they able to do anything or what did they do to prepare for the next one? Or did they just think, well, that's never going to happen again, so I don't have to worry about it? Right. Well, definitely things have shifted and changed in, in our uh, minds. However, people people have a short memory, to be honest, yes, around 20, do. 25 years and they forget everything. Um, but yeah. even after 25 years, um, we keep at least my family or relatives. Um, I have relatives who ever since the 90s, they never put any money in a bank ever. They never even got close to a bank ever. They learned to live without credit and they learned to live with cash only and that's it. Uh, now, of course, they lost a lot. They had more wealth to lose, but that was it. That, that I think those people, especially my aunt, uh, she will never go to a bank, not even close to an ATM. She just completely lost the trust and I don't even blame her, you know? So there right. are things and we also started... Um, 
valuing land and relationships much more. Now, back then, I think um, the culture was different. 80s Romania was different. Um, I think um, now uh, sort of in the United States or Western Europe, it's more um, fragmented, I would say. Um, back in Romania, it wasn't that fragmented and we, uh, we knew our neighbors and mm-hmm. so on. We, I think we are losing that. So I don't think we lost our, uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't learn our lessons there, how valuable community is. However, I still have the cousins and we are like brothers and sisters. We exactly know um, when something happens in the family and we are keeping in touch as much as I can, of course, from the United States. But it became that my cousins and my relatives became much more closer and the connections that you make under these times will last forever because these were forged in hard times, I should say. Now, without the hard times, we're no longer forging new connections. I think that's the problem. Uh, However, we did learn um, that, you know, how valuable land is, if you can work it, of course, real estate, if you know what you're doing and you can do the right picks, Uh, not to trust uh, big systems because when they fail, they fail big. Uh, and of course, bank and something like that. And also um, really hard assets, anything that is outside of the system, like uh, silver and gold, uh, we know their actual value. We know their actual value during these times. So back then we used to fantasize about, you know, my father and I would sit under the chestnut tree during night and uh, we would talk about things and uh, him explaining when they went through times like this uh, and when he was a baby, uh, what happened. And um, even then we were talking about how nice it would be if this, and we had actually a bucket full of aluminum, we collected metals to, uh, to sell later on to for food and something like that. How good it would be if this bucket of aluminum would be silver and we would fantasize, oh, these are silver nuggets and so things like that. And you will never forget those, you know, and the, the, the lessons that I learned from that experience, I will pass down to my children, hopefully further along, because um, these lessons and these asset classes are really multi-generational asset Mm -hmm. classes and our memory is really short if something goes up then we jump on it and then we jump out and we made some money and the good the good stories get told the bad stories don't get told but what you need (laughs) to have is a long-term memory you need to connect with your grandparents what are they saying you know back we used to actually consult them about knowledge you know the further you go back in past the further you can see into the future what are the lessons that they learn i spent a lot of time with my grandparents my grandmother especially and those lessons that i learned from wartime and from uh famines that we had to go through those are not lost on me at least but i think we are losing it in uh in romania as well because of uh because of Western influence, but also the flashiness and the right. generated wealth that we uh, perceive now. Yeah, and, and you're referring to the stock market going up and the, well, the fiat money assets, those that the central banks have targeted for reflation because that's what everybody looks at. Is that what you're referring well, it's, to? It's- in one way, it's a good thing because it's sucking up all the money instead of it going to, uh, well, now it's starting to trickle into gas price and other things. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
even then it's kind of crazy even then we had these scams uh, one big scam was out of uh, Cluj which was a, a is a city in Romania I think the Caritas was the name of it and they would give you like 30% return on your money uh, for extra months or something it, it was a big um, Ponzi schemes type of type of thing but even then people were speculating and this the easy money that people made somewhere would always have a place where it could be flushed out to be honest right. and these would suck in all the money of the people who actually worked hard for it but they wanted to outsmart the system and uh, of course they lost a lot of it so there's always these um tulips or something like that right. that could suck in the money that has been printed and the the people who are running the system don't mind. They will let it run for a long time because they are actually acquiring real wealth, real assets, and actually power that they grab because they're printing the money. They don't really care too much about paper. They're grabbing, grabbing assets, uh, power. And, you know, just look at what Bill Gates is doing. You know, he's smart. You know, why is he acquiring so much farmland? So, uh, they're acquiring assets and as it being flushed out through the system, the people who actually maybe had some stored up wealth, they're putting it into tulips or somewhere to flush it out where it doesn't count anymore. Right. You know, and, but as this continues for multiple years, eventually there's a buildup where people start buying assets or they start buying uh, more and more stuff. And then you start a low long-term inflation that happens that eventually will spike up right which is which is where i think unfortunately i think we're at the beginning parts of the hyperinflation but i have people that ask me all the time about the banks and about how safe their money is in the banks and the safe deposit boxes so can you uh talk to us right. about that well the tune is always the same. I remember I told you that one. So um, I interviewed other people around the globe uh, from Lebanon and from uh, Argentina. And the tune is yeah. always the same. The very first thing when, when it hits the fan, so to speak, it will be the banks have a holiday. They have a shutdown and then they will decide in the next two weeks what we'll do with with the situation based on your reaction, how violent or non-violent it gets, I, I guess. Uh, but what actually happened in Romania was we had one, well, it was sort of a fake commercial bank. It was really just owned by the government. Back when Romania used to be a kingdom, it was a commercial bank and a private bank. Eventually communism took over. And then we had this bank that for you know, for the general people, it was called CEC. You can look that up. Uh, and everyone's money and everyone's uh, investment was there during communism. And even after communism, when it started, everybody just, that was the safest thing that you could have. You know, it was government backed. Everybody was do, putting their money, your, your pension or um, your pay, could be only coming through that system. Everything was managed. It was perfect. It was safe. Well, the very first thing when hyperinflation started, it closed and it closed for around two years and everything that was there, it got stuck. And I have relatives who had enough cash uh, in the bank. Well, in the CEC, it wasn't really a bank, but it's actually functioning like a bank enough to buy uh, three houses, um, 
fully. So no down payment, no nothing. They could have just bought the three houses for cash, right? And after the hyperinflation and after the bank closed, uh, they were able to buy one television set with the same amount of money, the same amount of currency. And um, it was mind, mind boggling for them as well. They actually debated whether they should invest that in something physical or not just prior before everything happened. And they chose, yes, it was eventually a big frustration in the family, but you know, people have to live together and work together. So they worked through it, but they, they lost a lot of money that way. It was a big inheritance from a grandfather and they just kept it there. And yes, it was a television set, a black and white television set eventually that they bought with the exact same currency, the exact same numbers and everything. They just went and bought a television and they at least have a, had a television. We didn't. <laughs> so that was. But as I mentioned, uh, when I talk with uh, people with from Lebanon or Argentina or some other place, it's always the same. That's the first money they can grab. All they have to do is shut off right. the app. They closed the door. That's it. The money never even existed. It was just a number on the screen. And that was your problem, right? And I'm pretty sure the paperwork or, or the fine print already is in there that it's their money and it's their, their liability, actually, if you read uh, through the fine print. So that's always the first thing that happens. Eventually, they come up with a scheme in Lebanon um, from... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, they they put it in a savings account that's locked for two years. Is it really usable? I mean, no. what, what will happen after the currency has inflated tenfold or twentyfold? Uh, you don't people people don't understand the gravity of inflation. You don't have to percentage wise. You don't have to lose that much in order to lose everything, right? If it's tenfold. That means you just have $1 out of 10. If it 10 folds again, that's 100. Out of $100, your purchasing power is one. Doesn't even matter at that point if you lose another like another 10 fold, it doesn't. Really the first two halfings of a purchasing power in the currency is where you lose everything. It's after that point, it's just a, it's just a rat race to have something to eat, I guess, because what happens is if you have a hundred dollars and everything in else in price doubles, that just means now you have $50. Everything else in price doubles again. Now you have $25. Even I mean, though nominally point, they're identical. Yeah. Yes, right? of course. I mean, that's yeah, perception your purchasing power is mm-hmm. halving. Uh, after the second halving, does it really matter? People say, well, it was just a high inflationary period, not necessarily hyperinflation because hyperinflation needs to go up, I think, 500% per month. And this was like only 50% per month. Yes, but if they locked in your money, they could last it for two years. And by that time, it, you did lose everything because you couldn't take it out. So that's always the same Um, That's why I have relatives who never even go near banks. Now, I I don't choose that lifestyle, but um, I don't. And safety deposit box and anything like that, as long as it's a system and there's a key to the system and turning that key will change the things that are how running the system uh, is just for governments or um, big entities that are in stress. It's just too much... um, 
temptation temptation not to do mm-hmm. it so of course they will do it they actually hope they don't have to do more but usually it never stops there yeah i would absolutely agree with you so just to kind of recap basically anything that you hold inside of the banking system whether it is in a bank account or it is in a safe deposit box you lose all access to it that was our um, experience. Now I can't, I don't foresee the future. I hope not. Um, and of course, this is a global reserve currency we're talking about. So it might be a bit different. <laughs> it they might, might be actually, a bit worse. <laughs> yes. It's, I just told, um, I was having a conversation. I, the, the analogy or, uh, is, or the metaphor is we're just on a higher shelf. Everybody's going to fall down. We're just going to be falling from the top shelf. That That's what it means, because that means that we're even doing better now in this um, in this generated uh, economy that we, we're living in. So that was our experience. That was the experience in Argentina, in Lebanon. Um, now I'm uh, having a interview scheduled in Venezuela from someone from Venezuela. We'll see. But at this point, yeah. Uh, it could be different. I don't know, but um, I, I the, for me, it's probably not going. That's to enough. Be. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. Right. For me, you know. Well, you 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 said that during uh, the Soviet period, you were not allowed to own gold, right? Correct. But yes. could could you own it in different forms, like an heirlooms, you know, something that was passed down from the family, or a collectible piece of jewelry, or you know, or a collectible. Was that different? No. Uh, so communism, every dictator has its own vision of his communism and everyone who supports communism has its own vision of communism. And they're all different, of course. And um, so that's why I'm not too hard on people if they disagree with me politically, because they might have a good vision in their mind. It's just we're, we're having a conversation, communication issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, they might not understand history or I'm not understanding their vision. So um, what I'm saying is that during communism, things have changed. The, first, it started with Gheorghe Gheorghiu Dej in Romania, then uh, Ceausescu, who was, got made more famous. A lot of Westerners know about uh, the dictator Ceausescu. They all had their different version. And even as time has passed, things have changed, right? It, it's not completely static, but... Um, Basically, every ounce of gold was, no matter what, it was outlawed. The, you mm. could get, uh, and of course, I was young, but my parents' generation, they could get um, a wedding band if they filled out the paperwork a couple of months prior, and then the wedding band itself, the gold was made by uh, approved jewelers by the state, and it was it, it was that like that. Silver actually wasn't banned um, now, but there was nothing no available. You right. couldn't buy it in stores or anything like that. People did get silver uh, from Bulgaria or even Russia, but it was more like ornamentals or uh, jewelry or something like that that's, that they could uh, get it as. Yeah, yeah, that's now that, just because I want to do want to clarify. Just because yeah. it was illegal, that doesn't mean people didn't have gold. People did have gold. You know, even the the Soviet uh, higher ups had wives. They liked some gold earrings. There was there, but it was very um, tricky to have it. But kind of people did uh, shut their eyes here and there. 
So you could get it. However, you have to make sure that it's really worth it for you to hold it or you would be risking too much. Okay. That that's wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> crazy times and uh, crazy policies. Uh, one thing I do say to people um, and my family, and I uh, do it as well now is to have your assets in multiple political jurisdictions. If you cannot diversify outside of the country, at least outside your state uh, or outside here, or outside, I have multiple citizenships. I have the benefit of doing much more things than the average uh, US citizen. But yeah, I, I do think that as things will get bad, um, they, will, um, they will try some shenanigans, but it's up for us to decide that we let them or not, I believe. Um, Because it's really a power play. And even in communism, people did push back on some stuff. Um, There's, um, and communism has changed during that time. There's uh, famously, there's um, goulash communism. Goulash is a Hungarian food. Um, So goulash communism was something much more softer in Hungary, but because the youth was was pushing for rock music and hip music and the the Soviet officials couldn't deal with that. There was just too many people wanting it, right? So uh, something like that did happen. And even with gold and different uh, states uh, had their different uh, variety of communism. Uh, Romania actually had a very strict communist, uh, yeah. dictatorship. Well, that would definitely do it. But another thing that, so I still, well, so I, I wonder, because I heard you talking about people using their wedding, they would use everything else first that they had and then use their their wedding bands or what gold they had at the at, at the last, if they really needed to buy some food or, or what have you. And we're, we're hearing the same kind of things in different parts of the world right now. Yes. So, yeah, I have so many stories. <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, so just logically to explain uh, to the viewers, well, if there's something that is going up in value, why would you trade it, right? And that was silver and gold or whatever you had. Um, why would you barter that, right? Uh, I think it's Gresham's law. The, the right. worst currency pushes out the better currency. You actually want to save that. And we were using, whenever it was possible, we were still using Romanian lei. Some people would still take it, immediately exchange it into something else. It was sort of a hot potato. But when things were easy into pricing Romanian lei, we would do that. If that didn't work, then we move up to uh, the Deutschmark, the German mark, then the US dollars. And then if nothing else worked, then you would um, auction off, or well, not auction off, but sell off your jewelry or something like that. But you would keep that to last. Now, this caused an effect that since everybody knew that you would be doing this, um, they they knew that you were desperate. You had to be really desperate in order to try to sell your jewelry because it was going up in price. So there was a huge premium depending on when you sold it, how you sold it, and who you sold it to in your local market, there was a huge premium, or I should say price difference if you were selling gold or buying gold. Because because people knew that if you're selling gold, unless you're someone who's a speculator and know that they can get gold from you, you are desperate, really. So another good lesson for people is to... um, 
be have your securities first have your food your shelter possibly community and then whatever wealth that you want to save through an inflation or high inflation period and kind of have at the other end of the tube so to say that is what you would store in uh things that store well i should say uh precious metals as well because because during this um time it there has there are practical issues that you have to deal with if you're selling gold just for instance uh people would if they would have investment gold they would make a fake ring out of it and then sell it as a ring that was for a safety reason because um if you're selling bars of silver bars of gold they will track you where you live you know and find out where you have it now most people didn't keep anything at home um you would rather dig a hole in the um, somewhere outside in the national forest know where it is and keep it there instead of having it home because you could you would have to leave your home on a moment's notice it would be crazy to have a lot of wealth um stored in at your home that's that's a good lesson for future as well and for my family as well yeah. however there are practical issues that you have to deal with so making sure that you're selling your silver or gold on your own terms and you can wait and you can sell it to the right person who actually wants it not some speculator uh in an alley who will um who had you know paid off some uh, local cops and so on so you have to you have to control your own situation you have to plan it out you know ask for help uh from the people who actually know what they're doing how you plan your strategy because there are good strategies even for collapses and then um then stick to it basically oh i agree and i and i do want to hit on this cuz we're starting to run short on time but people always i could talk to you all day easily <laughs> but people always ask about real estate and about holding purchasing power and i know that i are heard you talking about how people were able to pay off their mortgage with cheaper dollars but they had to do something to have that purchasing power intact so right. Can you can you talk about what happens to real estate and what your experience was and the opportunities that you know because it's not all black you know there's yes, always well, opportunity in crisis so can you address yes, that a little bit exactly you just um, have to hold your purchasing power yes it really comes down to um you having control you having control and you not being desperate yeah my family eventually got desperate and we had to sell our uh, aunt's uh, real estate um she passed away unfortunately during these times and uh, she didn't have any heirs and it came down to the family members to divide it and sell it off and we were in a in a bad situation uh, the people decided it's better for us to sell and uh we sold that um property it was a different homestead uh and actually the price was around i believe 2 million romanian lei now happened that that's a, a large amount in numbers but that didn't actually buy you a lot and uh i bring this story up because the same year towards the within the same 12 months our family situation happened uh, changed a lot thanks to mostly my father and my mother who 
um, started eventually trading their skills to uh, for foreign currency directly. And oh. uh, because uh, my father was a machinist, he was able, he had his own little shop set up. He was able to uh, do a lot of things. And eventually we started acquiring um, uh, foreign currencies or we were storing our newly acquired wealth in something else right or physical things sometimes he would buy tooling or something like that eventually our anyway our family situation had changed and now we wanted to store that wealth and we had we wanted to diversify it and that same amount and i did bring this here that same amount of uh, currency bought this gold chain and this is i have very um, I have very uh, emotional, I get emotional even when I'm talking about it because I remember my mother crying about this, but that same amount of currency bought this very exact gold chain. And this is a 14 carat, I think it's like 15 grams or something like that. So, so that was like 200. Was that... What does it buy? Yeah. So, right. that was that like 200,000 lei? 2 million lei. 2 million I mean, lei? 2 yeah. million lei? So pricing right. is just a number. At that it point, is. it doesn't matter. Eventually, eventually the minimum wage went up to 8 million lei and you can you could starve on that. So that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I could see gold up gold go up $200,000 an ounce. It doesn't matter. It's just a number. What does it buy? And at that point, we were making of course a bad deal because we were trading real estate uh, to lay to gold, at least my family, uh, which was actually on on a on a on a different scale, and we were losing money, but it was actually safety for us. So that gold chain actually still saved purchasing power because if if we would have left it in currency, uh, it would be falling, and it would be eventually completely nothing. So. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know with real estate. And of course, there are good stories about real estate. And even I have good stories from my family. We actually, later on, we did acquire uh, a apartment that we rented out. However, uh, that was after, of course, our family situation changed. And to be honest, we actually eventually got better off after hyperinflation than we uh, started. But that was through hard work and a lot of knowledge that my, it got passed down through family members and, and uh, elders. So real estate, yes, there are examples, and I know multiple ones um, who had acquired real estate with um, a mortgage. Well, it was a bit different, structured differently. It was more of a government thing in, under communism, but basically it was around 15% down or something like that. It was guaranteed by your factory that you worked for and i could explain but it's long anyway the mortgage or quote unquote mortgage would have been for 15 years and um eventually that got paid off with uh in one case three months worth of salary in one case one month worth of salary but it was not romanian salary mind you if you would have just lived and worked as if you would do you would still be paying it possibly however they also acquired something else with their salary, kept it, and then exchanged that amount into paying off the house. So it's a bit different. It's it's not clear cut, it's not black and white. You have to kind of know what you're doing. But yes, there are examples in our case 
that people paid off their houses with one or two months worth of salary, but it was a bit different, not just like keeping everything and you're just sitting back and you're waiting it out, so to speak. And also, I want to mention that people forget that communist Romania went to more of a free, uh, well, socialist, but a free economy, much more liberated economy. I think my personal view is that we're actually in the reverse now. So that means that in these cases, these uh, investments or good investment opportunities were left alone. So in the sense that who had the house, right? Mm -hmm. And he was able to pay it off because government or high, the bigger banks or entities didn't step in because we wanted as a country uh, to become free, free economy. And basically that was, that was possible because the free economy took care of it, so to speak. I'm not sure if there will be opportunities like that after hyperinflation. If high inflation happens and the political situation doesn't change, yes, I can foresee some cases if you were speculative enough that you could do it. And I force I have my own plans as well. However, um, it's not a, a clear bet, you know, and uh, many, many times uh, political shifts happen with currency collapses. It's yes, it's that's true. Hand. Yes, they really they really do. But um, I actually on Thursday, I'm doing a piece on real estate and gold during these hyperinflationary events. So mm. if you held it like in that necklace, if you had if you yes. had the gold before we went into hyperinflation, you had that necklace, you, you probably could have bought our homestead for sure. Yes. <laughs> we were on the <laughs> other end of the trade. <laughs> exactly. So there are opportunities that come up and you know, my personal goal is for people to be prepared. And frankly, I'd always rather be, I don't care if I'm 10 years too early, because when do you want to know when it's hyperinflating? I mean, did you know, did your family know before it really kicked into gear that that was what was happening? No, um, we were just regular family. We were, didn't have um, background in uh, studying economy a lot. We just had uh, the knowledge of our grandparents' parents about knowing about gold or silver, silver, but it was illegal for us anyway. So we knew about at least don't sell off the very last land you have. And we had some knowledge, but uh, about what could happen. However, we only really realized what was happening when the food prices tripled or quadrupled. At that point, it was clear that, hey, I'm working for the same, my parents would be working for the same uh, amount of money and we barely can afford, afford food. At that point, it becomes obvious to everyone. And at that point, they will lose the faith in currency and government. And at that point, the inflection starts. But at that point, it's too late. At that point, you can't acquire anything anymore. You already lost all your powers. Uh, your uh, monetary power. So at that point, it's too late. By just before that point, usually uh, silver and gold will spike because the people who are in the know, who usually hate gold or talk about or don't even want to talk about it because of the talking heads in the media and so on, they actually start realizing, okay, this is BS. I'm just going to buy whatever I can. They eventually figure out gold and silver. And at that point, it spikes up. And by the time the average people realize it, 
food, which is almost the last uh, link in the chain. I talk about how this gets passed down from raw materials to the to, to the chain to the eventually last pre, uh, prior to last thing is food. By that time, it's it's already too late. You've been uh, kicked out of the market, so to speak. So be prior that there you be prior that there is a, a spike in our experience in gold and silver. Um, but after after that work after that another event happens. Uh, hockey stick uh, moment, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then there will be another opportunity towards the end of hyperinflation when people like us eventually acquire some wealth and still remember, hey, we sh if we would have had gold or silver or property that would be livable and also workable, we would have not suffered this much, but now we have some cash, let's buy gold again. So towards the end of the period, there's another realization of the general people uh, that, hey, this is a good thing. And of course, 25 years later, we forget it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Well, you haven't forgotten. Well, not me. I've, I spent a lot right. of time with my parents and grandparents. Yeah. And they've forgotten? Ow. Well, they have passed away, unfortunately. So, yeah. well, But uh, yes, our, our family and newer family members are not in too much interested in it however they know me and i keep pushing it so they they are making steps yeah and and for me personally i'm just getting ready to take care of everybody i can because <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about fortunately i do have some family members that are starting to listen so that i don't have to do it but but you know and i know our time is short now I just want to ask you two questions. Number one, where do you think we are right now in this whole trend? And number two, what else do you want people to know from this interview? Because I think this is probably one of the most important ones I've ever done, frankly. Well, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> so for the first question, it's hard to tell and you shouldn't care too much about it because it happens fast. When it happens, it's already too late. Yeah. So does it really matter if you put 10 or 5 or whatever percent that you can afford into precious metals or something else? That or 80 or 90 percent, because I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on your age and depending on what your plan is, right? Right. It doesn't really matter right. if you put, uh, you know, if something for safety, you don't count the cost of the fire extinguisher right it's it's like that you, you don't count it you just want to have it right you just want to have it you don't care when the fire is going to burn um so it's that sort and of hopefully like, you know, it never really does answer, but you want to have it regardless now of course i do want to provide you at least with some answer so when usually these things happen they happen for a reason and i don't want to be too speculative or too mean but it's usually to reset generational wealth to a really bottom level so now they have another few couple of generations that will be um that will have to work for the rest of their lives basically we are resetting we want to reset uh the wealth stored uh in these hard-working families to zero so we can make sure that there will be hard-working families for the next 80 years or so. That is my perception why it happens. Now, our case in Romania was a bit different. I know it's a long answer, but please stay through it. Um, our case was different because we actually, during communism, um, 
people actually eventually towards the end with the softening period of communism had stored wealth to lose. Now in the United States, there's, I mean, it's my opinion, but in the average people who are living paycheck to paycheck, there's not much stored wealth, but they have some equity, they have some this and that. First, in my opinion, they would have to do a two punch knockout and then do a hyperinflation. So I'm expecting a short deflationary period where a lot of people who are in debt lose everything they have. Because if they just keep the debt and they we start hyperinflating without political change, everybody who has debt would um, benefit, so to speak. Not really, but they're actually their debt is being wiped away. So is their future, but they don't count that. Right. So their debt is well, but fading. That's the plan away. for governments is to repay right. the debt so that they if take I would have so. to plan a reset, I would uh, plan a short deflationary period where I get rid of your assets, where you're in, you're such in debt that you will have to sell your house, sell your gold, sell your Bitcoin, whatever you have. And then after that, I'll take you to the hyperinflation tunnel that I would be talking about. So could it happen? Yes, no, I don't know. But I'm saying that if this happens, I think we still have a good seven years because usually in order to grab that money from the average folk takes two, three years. Nobody has enough. The general people don't have enough cash savings to hold their uh, mortgages without a job for three years, mm -hmm. right? I don't think so. So um, there, there might be a short period like that. They take you to that and then they hyperinflate everything away from you, what you have. And then the reset happens and then, well, um, you'll be happy because uh, your student loan went away, but you will be in servitude for the next 80 years or something that uh, is good for you anyway. So it might be different scenarios have different time frames in my head. It could be seven years, but it could be also around the corner. Maybe just skip that and in three, three years, two years, end of the year, who knows? I think we're already in a uh, collapse. We just uh, we don't realize it because there's paper in front of our eyes. Right. And we're melting up, right? Yes. So it goes the back to all those numbers. Lifting. Yes. For the second question, I want to say that whatever happens, um, you have to rule out fear from your life um, because that is how they get you. That is how you lose everything by, by, by fear. Uh, even if we would go through this situation, as long as you have close connections, family, you have people to care for, people you have people who care for you, you can live through it. You know, during history, we went so bad through such bad times that we will survive somehow, hopefully, right? At least some of us. So um, being afraid will not help you anyway. Spread, spreading fear will make things worse mm -hmm. because when a possible situation like this happens, you will be happy to give whatever power you have away to a possible dictator or uh, whatever government scheme that could be re replacing our current government or political shifts could happen. What you want to do is not fear because you still you are still in control. Make sure that nobody around you fears or has fear. And then you have a good situation that when something like this happens, everybody is set up to at least a point where you don't uh, you don't buy anything that you're, they are selling. 
You want to mm-hmm. have that negotiation power. Well, I don't care about what's happening. I have my uh, food. I have my um, storage of wealth. I have my personal safety protection. Mm-hmm. Very important during these times. And I'm not going to take your deal. You know, you do what you ever want to do with this new currency that you're printing. I'm not taking it. Enough people say that there's no change. They cannot be pushed upon it. Now, for that, you have you have to have no fear, at least from the future. And you have to spread, um, uh, you know, information that makes sure that there are enough beacons of hope within people who are spreading hopefulness, uh, opportunity during these times. And if that happens, then um, then it's a do- totally different game. So um, making sure that you are a beacon in your community, but you also create other beacons in other communities, not to be afraid, being prepared, uh, being friendly, being helpful. And uh, that way we have, we could, we could be looking at a much better future. You know? <laughs> I, I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. This has been phenomenal. We have to have you back on again and not wait too long because I want to hear more stories. Yes, there are plenty. <laughs> some are sad, some are happy, but um, it's true. We but went through it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And people, and people we, we all learn from it, even myself. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the whole point is if you're prepared, then you don't have to fear anything. Food, water, energy security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. You know, don't, and, and I guess I would say stop procrastinating. If you've been procrastinating, stop procrastinating and get it done. So this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much. You've got all the links to, to his work, to our pad's work below, and also on the blog. And also, you know, share this, make sure you share this video, whether they want to watch it, they don't want to watch it. Everybody needs to see this. And until next time, please be safe out there. Bye-bye.